All right, well, welcome, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Luke in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to read together verses 8 through 21. You know, I didn't check it out in the Pew Bible. Hey, and down the middle row of seats, there is uh, these Bibles. We use the ESV, and there's two Bibles stacked up along the middle aisle. So if you don't have a Bible, I would welcome you to, to use those, but not only use it, to take it with you and consider it a gift from us to you. Luke chapter 2 is going to be on page 556 in this pew version of our Bibles. We don't have many, many traditions here at the transit. I guess we got a couple. We go to lunch every third Sunday. We go to Johnny's a lot and uh, we read the scriptures out loud together. You know what? You got to have some traditions, right? So we've got a couple. And uh, one of the ones that we do is we read the scriptures out loud. Uh, so you can use your Bible, you can use your app, or you can cheat by reading the words on the screen. So here we go, starting at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Verse 21, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That's God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we pause to say thank you. Thank you for life, breath, for all things. We thank you for the gathering of your church today. We thank you for all those churches, not just ours who are meeting right now, who are singing songs to Jesus, worshiping, glorifying him. We thank you that your word is being preached today. God, I pray that you would give our people ears to hear and eyes to see something fresh in this passage. These these words, we've heard them before in various venues. So I pray today that you would help us to see these words, to hear them in our hearts and in our ears in a new light today, that through the story of shepherds, that we would experience the joy that they experienced as they were descended upon by angels and introduced to this great thing that had happened on the earth. God, cause us to rejoice at the birth of Jesus. God, change us into hearing of your word by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' great name. And everyone said, amen. And amen. Today is the third Sunday in uh, our Advent series, and um, we're going to talk about joy today. We're going to talk about joy. Advent means coming or 
appearing. And it refers to the season during, during Christmas where the traditional Christmas calendar uh, really focuses not so much on the giving and the receiving of gifts, but on probably the, the pinnacle event in all of history that's happened. And that's God breaking into his creation, God breaking into human history and uh, becoming w- coming with us, God with us. And he comes in the person of Jesus. But he not, he not only comes to be with us, we learn later through his life that he comes to save us. You know, there are four weeks of Advent, the church as a whole throughout history have celebrated. The first week, two weeks ago, we started with uh, celebrating Jesus as our hope. This Jesus who uh, was promised in the Old Testament and prophecies thousands of years ago said there was coming one who would be God amongst his people. Uh, last week, we looked at Jesus as our humility, the, the humble way that God would incarnate himself in the form of a person in the insignificant town of Bethlehem in such humble circumstances to be born in a stable. The fourth week, we're going to look at Jesus as our peace. And this being the third week, today we're going to talk about joy, focusing in on the birth of Jesus and the joy that that brings to us. You know, joy is one of those slippery words. You know what I mean? What do I mean by slippery? I mean, we say it. I would always, almost, always almost give it the, the category of Christianese. We slip it into our conversation. Yeah, I was, I was just praying that I would have joy about that situation. You know, but what, I mean, what does joy mean? What does it mean to, to have joy? Is it happiness? Is it an assurance that, you know, things are going right? Is it, is it being content in our circumstances? What does it mean that, that God would be our joy? What in the world is joy. Now, I don't want a suggestive sell to you a package of goods that I'm, I'm not going to deliver. So I'm not going to answer a whole bunch of questions that I just said about joy. But I think this passage that we read about the birth of Jesus is going to give us uh, some impressions. It's going to help us form in our hopefully our minds and our hearts a biblical perspective from the narrative birth of Jesus of what joy really should be in the life of the believer. And that brings us to this passage. And so in verse eight, we encounter shepherds. In fact, it says in verse eight, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. You know, I've, I've met some shepherds. I don't know if you all have. I mean, shepherds still exist. In fact, the clothes that you wear, I don't know if you got some wool blend or polyester, cotton, whatever you got on. But if you got likely Sheep were involved in the clothes that all of us actually have on our bodies right now. But in 1991, I found myself as a, you know, a lieutenant in the army in, you know, Saudi Arabia, Operation Desert Shield, eventually the 100 hour war of Operation Desert Storm. And I was green. I didn't know what I was doing. But uh, I was a fire direction officer in the artillery. And my unit had sent me to this remote spot to be with some for just looking out, seeing what was what was going on in Saudi Arabia as we were um, trying to figure out how this war was going to unfold. We were out in the middle of nowhere, kind of on a mountain. There was no people. There was there were no roads. Uh, there was very little vegetation. But there were a few things. There were camels. I saw camels. I mean, right up close. I even touched one. Got pictures to prove it. And there were Bedouins. And these Bedouins were shepherds. And um, 
I mean, I got a real life depiction of the life of a shepherd. They really had sparse living. They had a tent and they were nomadic. They they erected their tent and tore it down wherever um, their sheep would take them. And their purpose in life were, were caring for those sheep. They find um, spots with, with a little bit of grass and some, some water. And that's where they would tend their sheep. And their whole existence was waking up, extending the day, going to sleep to care for these sheep. And that really is um, what we should think of these shepherds. And they are, their sole existence in life is taking care of sheep. And to them, God appears. They have the most magnificent experience that could ever be had right there in a field very close to where Jesus was born. We read uh, the first that these shepherds were in the same region. Scholars identify the land that the shepherds were on um, coincidentally as a place called Shepherd's Field. It's thought to have been within about two miles of where um, of, of Bethlehem, where Mary and Joseph in that stable had just given birth to uh, to the Christ child. A little bit about shepherds. Um, to be a shepherd was I mean, it wasn't something that you wanted to do all your life. It was a lowly job. Nobody ever really wanted to be a shepherd. The shepherds of Palestine in this in this era were peasants. They were considered to be the lowest class of people. I mean, they were at the bottom rung of the class of society. They were ceremonial, ceremonial, unclean. They their whole existence was living outside in the elements, tending to dirty, nasty, disobedient sheep. And they couldn't even participate in the, the 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 temple rituals because they were considered to be unclean people. Not only that, but by character, shepherds were not trusted. They were um, they were considered considered you, you could not trust what they were going to say or what they had been involved in. So they couldn't even go to court and testify in the judicial court system of the day. They were not considered to be good people. Being a shepherd was not that job that as you look at your dad and say, I want to be that. It was that job that you didn't not that you want it, but that you got stuck with. I mean, you, there are jobs like that in our society today. I don't want to be this, but I got to do this. To, to sort of take care of of my family and and of me. I want to eat. So interestingly. Although their contemporary society did not like. I mean, I would even use the word hate. They hated these kinds of people. It's very interesting that God would show himself and would come in such glory to these people who were the outcasts of their society. And in this setting, we have the glory of heaven coming and announcing that all the things that you that have been promised and that you've been waiting for has happened right over there in Bethlehem. That's what's happening here in this in this passage. The other interesting thing is, you know, God throughout all of Scripture for some reason, although shepherds are lowly people, he shepherds have been at the very heart of. Of God throughout all of the Bible. As we look at redemptive history and the, the biblical narrative, we see shepherds at, at all points doing some great things for God. You know, you don't want to look any further than, well, right at the beginning, really, when God appeared in a burning bush. I mean, it's a bush that was caught on fire, but it wasn't burning up. 
um, God was calling forth a reluctant leader who had escaped Egypt, where he had been raised, and he had escaped to the desert of Midian, and he was a shepherd, okay, tending sheep. He did that for 40 years. And who was that man? It was Moses. Fast forward to uh, a time when Israel had become a nation and they had had their first king. And God sends a man named Samuel, a prophet, to the insignificant town of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And he looks among the sons of Jesse and says, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for someone that I can anoint to be king. And he goes through all of his sons and comes to the runt of the litter. David, who at this point in his life spent his days as a shepherd. And this David would become the anointed king of Israel, ushering them into the grandest days of their existence. And as we fast forward a little bit to the time of the prophets, God chose some great men by their character and their words to 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 usher forth the oracles of God. But in this instance, God uses an insignificant man by the name of Amos. He was a shepherd, a shepherd. And he would do great glories through this man named Amos. You know, shepherding, though a dirty job, is a unique one. The totality of their existence really was to take care of sheep. That's all they did. They looked for ground that could host them to eat and to, to drink. They went wherever the sheep needed to go to take care of their existence. When a, when a little lamb was born, a shepherd was so intimately familiar with these animals that he would name them. The shepherd would know, he would identify himself and be able to uh, pick out these little lamb that grew up into sheep anywhere he saw them. And the sheep would learn to hear the shepherd's voice and they trusted him and would follow him anywhere. Amazing. And it's no coincidence that as Jesus begins his ministry, one of the things that he identifies himself with as is the chief shepherd. Jesus says in John uh, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. He who lays down his life for his sheep. And so we wander in amazement really at the many options, God, the many honorable options that God had to pick from. He could have chose kings. He could have chose any person on the earth to unveil the coming of the Christ to, but he chooses shepherds. But like Mary and Joseph, the shepherds have an encounter with an angel. And that, the story continues. Verse nine. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, you know, it's fair to say that these shepherds were kind of terrified. I don't know if you've ever been visited by an angel. You know, the Bible does say that we are visited by angels unaware that they're that they're around us and we don't know it. But in this case, the 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 words here mean that at one moment there were no angels around, and then all of a sudden there was one. Okay, and I can't say what I'm thinking. But they likely had to hold their, their bowels or I mean, it was the, the look what the scripture says. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is like uh, bright lights, bright lights all around. And it's just one angel. One angel appears before these shepherds. It's like uh, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. He's a priest ministering in the temple. It's his, it's his duty that month. And 
An angel shows up to him and says, your wife has been barren, but you're going to have a child. and He's going to be the forerunner of, of Jesus coming to the world. And Zechariah was so surprised that, I mean, he couldn't talk until John the Baptist was born. This is probably equivalent to Peter, James and John on a Mount of Transfiguration, seeing Jesus in his glorified appearance, chatting it out with Moses and Elijah. OK, and then Jesus comes off the mountain glowing and Peter's like, uh, uh, um, can we can we get you some water? Can we I mean, what do you want us to do? Can we make you a shelter? Uh, what do we, I mean, they were dumbfounded at what had happened before them. I think in, in almost every opportunity, every instance of an angel showing up before human beings, the the trend is they all were paralyzed with fear. They all in many cases, bow down to these glorious beings. And many, I mean, they were just, they were terrified with fear. But they were terrified from the perspective of they were in the, the, the imminent presence of the glory of God and of his truth. And I think that if an angel showed up right now, we would do the very same thing. The narrative continues. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. He said, don't fear. So he's calming their fear. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. These are significant words for us. You've heard them before, but we got to pay close attention to what he's saying, because I think this is the essence of of what the angel, what God through the Holy Spirit that inspired Luke to write these words to capture them are bringing out for us. That would lead us to this idea of of joy. Firstly, this is the first record in the New Testament of the gospel going forth, that the gospel are in these few words here, the good news of Jesus coming to be amongst his people and to to save us. And there's three things that I want you to, to, to make notice of. The first thing is that the angel makes this announcement personal. He's talking to shepherds and he says, I bring you. I bring you good news. I bring you shepherds good news. But he's talking past the shepherd. I think by the inspiration of Scripture, God is talking to us. He wants us to identify with what these shepherds, these common everyday shepherds are experiencing in this moment and to gain the perspective that they have of good news. Lowly, insignificant. I mean, just know nothing people that this grand announcement has come to. God has come and revealed himself in a grand way to people that don't deserve it. He says this birth is for for all people. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is or how much money you have or any of that. This birth, this news is for you. The good news is in Jesus. That's what should bring us joy. The birth is what should cause great joy. It's like the promise of the Old Testament has come and it's like appeared right before you. At one moment, you you're dealing with the, the just the circumstances of your life. OK, beat down, broken, worrying, stressed out. And you have the glory of God that appears before you that takes all the other way. That really is what is happening here. The second thing that he I think we would pay attention to is this phrase city of David. You know, this Luke here is reemphasizing the fulfillment of prophecy. Two weeks ago, we talked about the, the promise and the prophecy given 700 years ago through Isaiah that uh, 
that Emmanuel would come. And Luke is bringing us back to that point. But not only that, 400 years before Jesus was born, it said that in the city of David, in the insignificant town of Bethlehem, Ephrathah would come one who was who was from ancient of days. Speaking of Jesus being born in the most humbling of circumstances. And it gives it the term city of David. City of David is commonly um, used for Jerusalem or, or Zion. And so the, the writer here is I mean, he is he's putting together for us all these small pieces that we that helps us see God is really in this. God is behind the scenes putting all this stuff together, that all the promises of one who's coming to be amongst you, God in the flesh and the promise of him being born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah and him being born of a virgin is coming to place right here. And Luke is reemphasizing that to help these shepherds who may possibly know about all of this history that to, to know that it's happening right here in your midst, but also to record it for us to know as well. And the third thing that he says are these very, very, very important words. A savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, these, these are three terms, Christological terms, we call them, describing Jesus and that identify him as the one that all the world was waiting for. And these three titles don't come together anywhere else in the New Testament. And so let's let's look at them really quickly. The first is Savior. So this is telling us that the one who is to come is going to save us. He's going to help us um, do something that we can't do in ourselves. He's going to deliver us. He's going to rescue us. It's as if we're swimming in water, an ocean of water. It's all around us and we can't swim. And unless someone comes with a boat or a life preserver and scoops us up, then we're going to die. That's what he's saying. This Savior has come to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He's saying Jesus is the hero. If in the grand story of the Bible, God made a perfect world. He put man as a pinnacle of his creation in that world. And because of the sin in their hearts and the deception of Satan, they disobey God and his word. We align ourselves. Adam and Eve align themselves with Satan. And the Old Testament is God's record of himself attempting to be to reconcile us back to himself. He comes and presents in various circumstances and situations, a God who wants to be with us, yet we continue to rebel against him. And so he has to send his own. He sends Jesus to save us for our sins. Of course, that happens on the cross. And then he gives us life. He gives us life by breathing his breath into us by the Holy Spirit, much as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he does that through his resurrection. We have life as we trust in the person and work of Jesus on the cross in our place for our sin. He's the Savior. The second word here is Christ. And this refers to the, the Messiah, the one who has been promised who will be anointed to be the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. You know, a lot of times we, I mean, we're cussing. So Jesus H. Christ. Y'all, y'all, I mean, some of y'all have said that. I know I'm looking at you. Some of you have said that. A lot of times we put these two words, Jesus Christ, together and we think Jesus has a last name. Um, I, very much so. People in this era had family names. 
We don't, the Bible doesn't record what Jesus' family name is. We only know he was born of, Jesse, uh, of, of Joseph and Mary. We're not told his last name. So Christ is not his last name. Christ is this designation that, that he's given as the, the coming one who would be the Messiah and who would be anointed. This Jesus is chosen. He's special. That's what this is saying. And then this last word, Lord, which, which represents his sovereignty, his, his authority to rule over all of creation. You know, I don't think the shepherds in this instance knew what was going on. They heard this angel saying all these words. One among you is is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the, the Lord. They didn't they didn't grasp what was going on. I would I would I would also think that Mary and Joseph, although they had an angel appear to them, they had no idea what all of this they they couldn't have put all this together. The, the promises and prophecies of Scripture being fulfilled right here. And very shortly, these shepherds coming to them and acknowledging that they had gotten these same words. And I would even go so far as to say later in Jesus life, those disciples that were walking closely with him that probably heard this story. Not from Jesus mouth, but from from Mary and possibly even these shepherds that were right there on the ground that met them some along along the way. They had no idea what was going on in these in these words? But really what is happening is these angels are announcing that this baby who was born right over there in Bethlehem, he he is he's everything that all of the old scriptures have testified would happen. And it's happening right here. It's happening right now. And it's come to you. He's, I mean, they're saying that the greatest person that could ever live, although the circumstances are humble, is happening right before you. And he assigns him a name and a title that's that says this Jesus is the real deal. King of all kings, Lord of of all lords. You know, one of the main names used for God in the Old Testament was this title of Lord. Lord was the primary way the Jews um, Jews addressed God, the, the, the Yahweh, Jehovah God, they addressed him as Lord. They called him Adonai, which means Lord. And so this angel is letting these shepherds know the one, the, the, the very God that you worship in the Old Testament. He has come to be with you. He has come to save you. This Jesus, this baby over there in Bethlehem, this is he. The rest of this passage, this narrative here that we've just read, is a response. And so we get to see what, how the world responds to the birth of Jesus. First heaven responds, verse, uh, verse 13. And suddenly there was, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, initially we have one angel showing up with the shepherds. I mean, he shows up in full orb glory of God, and I can imagine the awe that, that came upon them. And then right here, heaven responds. It says, a host of angels show up. Host means army. That's what the word means in the Greek. So an army of angels show up. I think the, the, the picture here, Jesus says in Matthew 27, 28, he says he's he's turned. He's arrested by soldiers and his disciples are standing there. They drew their swords and they're, they're getting ready to go at, go to war with the Roman soldiers to protect Jesus. And Jesus said, stop, you don't have to do this. 
I'm giving myself to these guys. In fact, if I wanted to, I could call a legion of angels to come and protect me. That's what I think this this host of angels is akin to the host of angels that that Jesus says, I, I, I've got they've got my back. If I wanted to protect myself and protect you, I could call them a host, an army of angels. That's about 60,000. So think about ranks of thousands of thousands of angels showing up. Bright lights everywhere. The glory of God is emanating. Think about the the words they're saying. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. We sang that. We sang those words. Glory to God in the highest. Hallelujah. The one who is prophesied is here among you. They're singing. They're saying words, but they're singing a song. Wouldn't you just love to have 60,000 angels singing along with you as you're praising Jesus? Luke wants us to get it. He wants us to see right here in this present day setting the grandeur of what's happening. In verses one through eight of Luke, we see the the lowly, insignificant setting, the humbleness of of God coming in the form of a baby, insignificant town, insignificant stable, born, I mean, laid in a horse trough where an animal would eat and drink and then. I mean, just juxtaposed to that, you have the grandeur of heaven coming and welcoming the Christ. He's welcoming him to earth, saying glory in the highest, peace on earth, peace in heaven. Come to earth and dwell with these people that you've created. It's a grand moment. But not only does heaven respond, the earth responds too. watch what happens with the shepherds. Verse 15, when the angels went away. From them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen and it had been told as it had been told to them. The shepherds do three things. They do three things here. First, they go see Jesus. They go to see Jesus. Luke tells us they went with haste. I mean, I think they're energized. These lowly, insignificant men who are the, the, the low caste of society are are shown the brilliance of heaven when they're not expecting it, when they don't deserve it. And I think they recognize that something special is happening here amongst them. The, the, the low outcast of society, the brilliance of heaven has just been displayed and they get it. And they're probably like, so, so what should we do? I mean, I mean, the, the angel said that over over in Bethlehem is born one who who is. Is the, the 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 promise has been fulfilled? I think God is with us. God is here amongst us. You think we should go? Do you think we should go? And absolutely, let's go. Let's go. That's what's happening. They went to see Jesus, and they get there, and they see Mary and Joseph. And we don't. Luke doesn't give us all the details, but there's likely other people at this point standing nearby because it says he addre- they addressed them, and. They see Jesus. And the next thing that, that, that we see that they do 
is they go tell people about Jesus. And so they're corroborating the story. They're over here at Shepherd's Field. Mary and Joseph with Jesus are here at Bethlehem. They travel the distance, probably like, I mean, let's go see Jesus. And they get there and they explain to them the glory that has been displayed over the Shepherd's Field of these angels. Thousands and thousands of angels just showing up and the, 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 the heavens lit up by angels at Jesus coming to earth. And they explain this to all those that are around. The Savior has been born. And then lastly, they leave. They, they leave. We don't know how long they were there. It may have been minutes. It may have been a few hours. But we're told that at some point they leave. They go back and live the life that they had been living before. They, they return to their job as shepherds. But I would beg you not that whatever they did from that point on, they did it differently. They, they obviously were shepherds still, but they had now a joy, a joy in Jesus that they did not have before that moment when the angels showed up to them and told them to go to Bethlehem. They had been exposed to the joy of the universe and were forever changed. So that's the narrative. So what should we do with that? Um, I've got two implications for you and they will be done. Two implications. The first is, is this. You know, in the beginning, I sort of suggested a whole slew of questions about joy. And I had no intent of of unpacking that and explaining to you what joy means, um, you know, in, in our world. But I am going to say a few things about it from from this passage. So um, hold your horses. You know, there's no doubt that the concept of joy surrounds what we've read in this. In this, there's a lot of things that come out. But one of the things that that's like bubbling over us with these shepherds in particular, is this idea of joy, joy in Jesus birth. Uh, the angels call. I mean, they're just glorifying God, the shepherds responding, um, just heaven and earth coming together to celebrate God with us. The birth of Jesus, this thing that's been promised thousands of years ago has happened. It's happened. And I think that is cause for joy. These are special events. And I think the scripture is helping us to see that God's hand is actively and uniquely at work. And just as the heavens should rejoice, the earth in this passage rejoices as well through through the shepherds. And so we ask we should ask ourselves before we leave this room and we we stop thinking about anything that I've said or the songs that we've sung. And we life starts at the you know, probably life starts as you stand up. Okay, and just like thinking about, all right, what am I going to do next? I'm going to go eat. I'm going to go watch some football. I'm going to go whatever you do. Go Christmas shopping. Let's so let's just us in this room. Let's let's concentrate just for two minutes. What is what is joy? You know, honestly, I think joy is happiness. I think it's satisfaction in life. I think it's an assurance of regardless of my circumstance. There's something inside of me that says all is okay with the world. I think joy is all those things. I think joy is is that smile on your face when when your baby is is happy. I think joy is seeing these kids up in the front doing the hand motions, the sign language and singing a song joy to the world. Joy is something in us that comes out of us. But joy has to have a source. Joy has to have a source. And in this passage, I think the most important thing that we understand is ultimately the coming of Jesus is the source. With the coming of Jesus, the true joy of joy, the true 
joy in joy is God. I don't know if that, that didn't sound right, but y'all get it. It's on the screen. True joy is joy in God. Joy is a deep, durable delight in God that ruins you for anything else. Everything else becomes sour. It ruins your taste buds for all other pursuits and pleasures. This, this quote is from a, a contemporary mentor of mine. Contemporary means I don't know him, but I read his books, listen to his sermons, and he ministers to me. Sam Storms, great theologian, great pastor. And what he's saying here, he's introducing us to this doctrine of Christian hedonism, whereby we understand that Life is not going to bring you joy. You have to have something more than the stuff of life, a good car, a beautiful home, nice clothes on my on my back or perfect circumstances in life, because those things ultimately won't give us joy, because at some point those things, they fade away. Your situation, your circumstance changes and you're left with 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 whatever you're depending on. Christian hedonism says that. We're ultimately happy when our happiness is focused on God, a God that doesn't change. He is never going to change. Our ultimate joy is joy in God. I like what the Westminster Confession says. It says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This says that the goal of our life should be to make a big deal about God because that is what will eventually make us happy. I mean, what are you chasing happiness in today, folks? It's Christmas time. I'm getting older, so gifts, I love to give gifts. I love to see my kids just like tear into a box and um, be surprised at what we, what we give them instead of just, you know, what kids always do, try to shake that box and figure out what's in it. I love the surprise on their face. Um, um, I'd love to see people that have circumstances in life that just are impossible to deal with somewhere within them have the strength to endure. But, you know, we chase a lot of things that that won't make us happy, that that won't bring us joy. And this says that ultimately our joy is in God. John Piper is is one of my heroes, another, another contemporary mentor. And John Piper is the ultimate Christian hedonist. And he says that the Christian religion is one of joy, that we can look to the life of Jesus. We can look to um, the scriptures that God inspires for us and find the joy that we need. Let me give you some testimony of scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. This says that God's word has an effect of bringing us Joy. Psalms 19.8. Psalms 19.8. Serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 102. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Isaiah 55.12. The Lord will rejoice in doing you good. Jeremiah 32.41. I almost got excited on that one. Rejoice for your names are written in heaven. There is a reason not in this present world, but that's coming that you can rejoice in. Luke 10, 20. These things I speak that your joy may be full. God has said things that he's recorded in scripture that would give us joy. John 15, 11. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, 52. Be joyful in hope. Romans 12, 12. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. We rejoice in our sufferings. Romans 5, 3. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah 8, 8, 10. And lastly, the fruit of the spirit is joy. Joy comes 
from God, Galatians 5.22. You know, of all the lessons we could reflect on, perhaps the biggest lesson is heaven's response, heaven's testimony about God to these shepherds. You know, shepherds were outcasts of society. I've said that a couple of times. They were untrustworthy. They were rebels of society. They were sinners. They were some of the most simple and common people on the face of the earth during that era. They still are today, if you ever cross one. Yet these shepherds seem to represent humankind. They represent us. Put yourself in the feet, in the body, in the Bedouin mandress of a shepherd. Put yourself in their shoes and and experience this freshly from from their lives, from what they possibly experience and see. You know, God chooses shepherds because Jesus came into the world for outcasts. You ever think about that? I mean, just read the Bible. There, there's no good people in here. Scripture says in Mark, there's no one good but God. And so this is, these are all renegades. These are all crazy people, you know, wanting their own way, rebellious, doing their own thing. And I would tell you, this room is filled with people just like that. Jesus came for people who... Um, did not doesn't don't love him. And we're those people right here in this room. Jesus came for those who feel empty, unhappy, who are lost and all alone. He came for those who are confused and who are hurting. Jesus came for those who find themselves stuck time and again in bad situations and circumstances. Jesus came for those who feel broken and seemingly beyond hope. And we are those people, just like the shepherds, until we come in contact with Jesus. We're those people until we come in contact with Jesus. And this is where this this story, this narrative of these shepherds leaves us. I'll conclude with this. After hearing the angel's testimony of heaven's joy over the birth of Jesus, the shepherds respond and they go see Jesus. They share the joy of heaven upon fulfillment of the word. They see Jesus. They hear this angelic word. They hear this angelic song saying glory in the highest peace from heaven on earth. Goodwill has come to you in the form of Jesus. They sing that song. They in turn respond by testifying about Jesus. The shepherds open their mouths and say all that they have experienced when they come in contact with Jesus. Other bystanders at this event marvel at what is happening as this insignificant birth produces a variety of responses. In Jesus, heaven and earth come together. In Jesus, these shepherds find joy, and we should too. Let's pray. Lord, it's Christmas time. Time for joy. A time for frolicking, for songs, for merriment. And the the truth is, the season itself does give us a, a, a little bit of joy. But in many ways, it just covers over the the heaviness of life that many of us feel. And so I pray especially today for those who under the, the, the guise of, of smiles and good cheer really are struggling right now, who feel the heaviness of, and the burden of sin in their life. They feel guilty. They don't know what to do with that. God, I pray especially for those who are broken and don't know where to turn. Those who 
just have heavy hearts because of the circumstances of their life or possibly someone that's in their life. God, and I pray that you would breathe fresh, a fresh wind of joy into their life. God, I pray for all of us that that we would not be so caught up in the season that we would miss the joy in the simple circumstances of God coming to earth to dwell with us, of God being born, incarnated in flesh in the person of Jesus. Insignificant circumstances, insignificant town, humble beginnings. But in this scene, we have the grandeur of heaven on display. That really is how a king should be welcomed. The grandeur of heaven. Glory to God in the highest. Hallelujah. Let all the earth sing. God cause our hearts to sing today. I pray that like the shepherds, we would we would go see Jesus. We would just we would push push the crowd away. We would travel the miles and that we would be eager like the shepherds to find Jesus. I pray that we would express our own testimony. Life was hard. I had nowhere to turn, but I came in contact with Jesus and the burden of my heart turned to joy. Would you do that for us today? We pray. In Jesus' name.